Well, we're really excited to uh, hear from you today. And this is your, your second presentation, but I want to give people a little introduction of who you are in case they didn't uh, watch you yesterday or go to the workshop. Yvonne Restrepo is a health educator with her bachelor's degree in, and a certified health life and mental health coach, as well as a coach trainer. She has been an educator for 25 years. She has two daughters, Alejandra, uh, 23, a Heartland alumni, and Nelsie, 13, who delightfully is a friend of mine. So she's <laughs> married to Norbert Restrepo, president of Heartland College in Virginia. Yvonne's passion is to help people find life purpose and an identity in Christ. And today her presentation is gonna be how Jesus enters into my story. So Yvonne, without any more time, let me pray for you and uh, we look forward to what you're gonna to share today. God bless you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for the events and the testimonies and, and of course the presentations and workshops, Lord, that we have been presenting throughout the week. We ask for your guidance. We ask for your spirit, Lord, to be with Yvonne and also those who are watching whether it's live or recorded. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Okay, Michael, thank you. Yes. Well, for those of you who were not present yesterday following the sequence of the workshops, I, I'm going to give a brief summary, summary today in regards to how Jesus enters your story. And uh, we, were, we were sharing uh, that there are different situations that are the fruits of our actions and every fruit, everything you go through is a fruit who has a root. And, and today we will see that principle and then how Jesus enters into each one of our stories. And as I mentioned before, I work with different communities. I work with Muslim women. I work with the LGBT, which, which, is, which are things that I didn't get into by myself. I believe God uh, introduced me to people in, in an amazing way, working seven years in the maximum security prison of Virginia, where 98% of women there uh, were active or participated in homosexual activity. And I was working seven years, giving Bible study, mental health lectures, health lectures. And it was amazing for me to mingle with the LGBT community there to make friends, to have people in my heart, in my mind, in my prayers, to learn, especially for me was a learning experience. And then once I'm out of prison, I can see the same situations in an Adventist home in people who are free and have freedom of choice, but could be mentally in the same situation that women uh, in prison or a Muslim woman in Jordan or a young person from the LBGT community, or from religious uh, leaders, or just um, people who don't believe in God. Because there's something that unites us all, and it's our humanity. Those things don't, then, don't, that let, don't let you fall asleep at night are the same things for everybody. So we want to explore which are those things, and we are going to give some... Um, cases, scenario cases, so we can understand the principle of fruit and root and especially how Jesus entered into my story. So we're going to see this first slide and and illustrate it so it would be easier for you to see uh, this principle. So as you can see now there, this is a fruit, uh, this is a tree representing a person's life. A person 
who had a story to tell. And in this, um, this person, is this person represented by a tree is producing negative fruits, fruits that the person indeed are attached to, but they want to get rid of that. The person might enjoy some of it. And we can see some. You can see here a fruit, masturbation, affairs, pornography, strip clubs, adultery, fornication, prostitutes, internet with sexual content, homosexuality, and, and uh, we can see addictions to food. We can see addictions to buying things. We could see lying, gossiping, uh, anxiety, depression. There are so many fruits. Here I just represent some of them. And we get crazy with these fruits sometimes when parents start seeing these fruits in children. And that's the reason why different parents contact me. How can I do with my daughter? How can I do with my son? How can I do with my children? Because when they see these fruits, they just panic. And, um, and even for a grown adult who had been struggling with these things all over again, all over again, and if we are focused here on the fruit only, we have no hope. It's so difficult to deal with the carnal, with the flesh, right? But, but behind these fruits, we see the roots. The roots are covered. The roots are underground. The roots hate the light. We don't know the extent of the roots, but they are there. These roots are nourishing all of these fruits which are negative behaviors and the principle in mental health and Ellen GY illustrates amazingly in a very simple way. Negative thoughts give negative feelings and negative feelings, negative behaviors and negative behaviors. Then you create habits and out of the repetition of habits, you form a character. But pretty much everything uh, believes by negative thoughts coming from beliefs that we have. How did they come to this point? Different situations in life, especially when you are growing up. Um, they could be the dynamics of home, the dynamics of school, the dynamics of church. All these places where you grow up added to these um, beliefs and negative thoughts. So we can see some here of the roots that give birth to these fruits. And here is the real key of the point. I have to pretend I had man, a man or woman. I can't trust anyone. I'm bad, unlovable. I'm, it's my fault. I'm to blame. I allow this to happen. I put myself in this situation. I'm alone. I'm rejected. I'm forsaken. I'm dirty. I'm unclean. I have to be in control and in charge. Working with with trauma, abuses, and addictions. This is what we find all the time. And let me tell you something that I mentioned yesterday as well. Sin is a traumatic experience. Sin is an abuse. And we all, said the Bible, we all have gone through sin. So we all human beings, even if you grew up in the best of homes, we have been exposed to sin and pretty much negative thoughts about our identity have to be there because it's part of the carnal nature. So here we extend to everybody, to everybody, because we are humans. There's something that connects us, is our humanity and our need. And so we can find this everywhere, anywhere, regardless 
culture, regardless age, regardless gender ideology, regardless religion, regardless any skin color, we all fall into this pattern, some to a greater extent, exposed to really, really traumatic experiences, some to, some to a less degree extension, I mean, of the situation, but some of us, many of us, all of us, I can say all of us have participated of uh, this experience, having negative thoughts in regards to our identity and then um, negative fruits. And this is what we deal with. This is what we deal with. So I want to now place a scenario where we are going to see specifically a situation that uh, we can go to the second slide, seeing some aspects. Okay, so we may understand how is the formation of the identity on a person. So we see in the next slide that the key insight from attachment, key points about attachment theory, and I touched briefly yesterday, but I want to bring it back today because we're going to kind of expand this thought. And the attachment and bonding in infancy is crucial to the formation and formulation of our identity. That's key. The bonding requires bonding formation of identity requires bonding, requires a role model in front of us, requires uh, that I might see another one and I reflect that, period. Identity is formed exclusively through relationship. That's the way we grow in identity, is require a relationship. Relational difficulties result in fears and yesterday we could see different type of fears and how the gospel fit in relational difficulties and if they were at home with um primary take uh, caregivers or mom and dad or the relative i grew up relational difficulties result in fear doubt insecurity and, and anxiety because it's through relationship that identity is formed so in our next slide, we see that when healthy, when there is a healthy parent-child bonding, okay, bonding, we are talking specifically here about bonding, that does not occur in early childhood. When in early childhood, there is not a secure bonding process between uh, parent and child, what happened? A deficit of hunger for love and security is created, period. I have different, I have so many parents when they come to me saying, um, my child, my, my daughter, my boy uh, are having this situation, even in drugs or, or video games or any type of addiction, or they are saying they're bisexual or homosexual, any type of uh, situation. And I go to the child or to the teenager or to, and then I have to go back to the parents. and. It's even harder for a parent to admit and recognize that there has not been a good bonding process. Because sometimes we are speaking about the best families, children that grew up having worship times in the morning and in the afternoon. Parents who were physically present. But, you know, this process cannot be fooled. When there's not a bonding, which means not only physical presence, not only material things given, there are many cases when that was not the case, but we're talking about the best of cases. 
and but not emotionally connected, spiritually connected to the point that the child develops this trust, this good feeling, being with my dad, not fearing looking in, in, into his eyes or her eyes, case of a mom or dad, when the parent, when the uh, father comes home the child goes running to see him and is not afraid oh my dad is here you know it could be the best religious or the best dad but if this is not happening something's going on it could be also that the pa- that the father is there or the mother is there but it's not connection hello how are you how was school good okay do your homework clean your room it requires more than that it requires more than that so the first job that that we need to realize here. The first, the first work that needs to be done is realizing if there was this parent and child bonding. There are some other cases of neglect, of uh, abuse, of uh, abandonment that is clear. But in some other homes where there was something present, we are talking about bonding. We are talking about spending quality time. I'm not talking about parents who are always pleasing their kids. No, that doesn't create bonding. I mean, neglect or overprotection, that's not bonding. If you're giving everything to your kid, what do you need? Oh, you need a computer. You need a camera. Oh, you want to um, have a swimming class. Take take it. Take it. That's not. That doesn't really create bonding. Bonding, we talk about the capacity to intimate, the capacity um, where there is where is respect, when there is love, and when there is trust and confidence, and the child trusts, and when something happens, they go running, telling mom and dad, in a home where discipline and love is given, not neglected, and that that requires parents today, and I and I want to make a call right now, especially for fathers. What are you fathers? Hmm? What are you? Sometimes very involved in church activities, sometimes so involved in work activities to provide for the family, which is good. But there is so much absence of the presence of a father, of a father helping his boy to create an identity, what a man is. Given a a girl, from the father perspective, given a girl, the security and assurance of how a girl should be treated and loved. A father who is treating the mother in a kind way, helping her, not being a burden for her, not developing codependency, because codependency, even from a father to a mother or a mother to a father, creates not a good mind in children because anyone who goes under codependency are not free, are de- depending on the other to feel good about themselves. So they cannot help their kids to feel good about themselves when they when they require another one, even a husband or a wife, um, to be there for them. So those kids will have pretty much um, insecurity or this hunger of love just because one of the parents is attached to another because they themselves need security in another person. And that's what I see. And yesterday we were speaking about codependency. So there are different ways why this bonding cannot occur. Not good relationship between the parents. Or the parents can have, as I mentioned before, presence. They are there. They could be even religious people. But they didn't learn how to to be one-one with the child. 
uh, and as I mentioned, it's not about playing with the kid and doing what the kid needs. No, that doesn't create bonding. It's having love, discipline, respect, and care in the atmosphere of assuming each one responsibilities and everybody assuming the role in a home. So, so the kid, the, the child, when he doesn't have that bonding, then hunger for love and security is created. That that happens. It is especially damaging when the child and parent of the same sex do not effectively bond for whatever the reasons. So, so when is the mother with the girl, when is the father with the boy not created that bonding, then the child look for another, another role, another role to attach to. Mm-hmm. That that's that's quite of the reason that happened. I've seen in many cases where the mother develops a uh, codependency to the father and um and the father could be um could be a, um a person who manipulates a lot and the mother just serves to the interests of the father and they can neglect uh the kids emotionally that's a pretty common case it's not necessarily the only one because this is a multifactorial there are many reasons why this bonding cannot happen but one of the reasons i pretty much see is the development of codependency. And yesterday you can go back and see what is a dependent healthy relationship and a codependent relationship. So you can see all these uh, things happening in this scenario. The child's identity and security in center role will not properly develop. So they are not receiving, so they cannot give. Hmm? A child is like is like an investment. You need to invest put in every day, giving, teaching boundaries, teaching discipline, teaching self, uh, self-control, teaching altruism, doing things for others. They learn everything and it's like investing to a child and they learn by example. They learn, uh, they learn by repetition. 70% a child learns things by seeing and only 30% of the things he's taught because he needs to see something. He needs to see respect by example, the way mommy and daddy treat themselves. They need to see self-control by example. They need to see kindness by example. They need to see love by example. So when parents do that, it's investing in the child. They invest in the child and the child will receive. And when the child will receive, he can give. Simple. When the child receives, he can give. Grown adults, who didn't receive this when they were children, when they grow up, the way they get healed is not receiving anymore. Mm -mm. After 12 years old, the child needs to receive in order to give. But when grown-ups up realize that they didn't receive and they have a deficit of hunger for love because they didn't receive these early in, in childhood, now the grown person doesn't heal receiving. They heal giving the things that they didn't receive when they were children, just by giving. But the question is, how can I receive? How can I give something that I did not receive? So now parents cannot give it, even though if they do, there are some parents that realize when their kids are 30, 40, their mistakes, and now they want to do the work. Oh, that's so nice. Seeing restoration in in families as as a parent and child, parent and child. But the grown person 
is not going to be healed now by receiving from the father or the mother. That's going to be an added thing, which is good. They get healed by giving that love and care to others in an altruistic way. Where should we receive it? Wait till the end of this presentation so you can see how Jesus enters our story and goes exactly to the place where he needs to go. He doesn't go around the bushes. He just go exactly to go so he can provide something amazing. So the child's identity and security in center role would not properly develop. And this in turn will affect perhaps even sabotage future relating with peers and of both the same and opposite sex. So now we see a child that goes out into society with a deficit of hunger, of love and security. Why? Because for the reasons, it could be so many reasons, they, he didn't bond in security with parents. Often, in such a case, the child is often unable to conform to or be comfortable, comfortable with expected gender role performances. Uh, is disoriented. He doesn't know what is the role, what are the roles, because he's not bonding, receiving from an image, we were created in an image, receiving to, to give. We can go to our next slide. So when healthy parent and child bonding does not accord in early childhood. Okay, this is the same. We can go to the next one. Yes. All right, here we have it. This sense of difference. Yes, that's, that's the one. This sense of difference further alienates the child from engaging in satisfying relationships which should serve to solidify security and identity. The resulting hunger for love and security is painful. Mm, the resulting hunger for love and security is painful, and the need for identity completion makes the child very vulnerable. So that's a painful experience, not to be secure. Child should grow in security, in care, protection, and love. So that's that start growing and makes the child vulnerable. Vulnerable to what? Vulnerable to look for different images and roles in front of him to attach to. A child in this situation is driven or compelled to compensate in some way for what is missing. He's looking something, and it's not, believe me, it's not a conscientious thought. The child is not saying, okay, I'm not receiving this at home. I'm not love and care at home. So I'm gonna look for a friend. No, no, to, to attach to, no, it doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen that way. It happens like the same way when you are hungry and you just body crave for food and, and you pass by something and, and you pass by the kitchen and the only thing is a banana and you just don't think, you just got it, you eat because every cell in your body is crying and craving for food. When you are thirsty, you don't think. All your body is just wanting to have something refreshing, water, something. And all even your mind cannot concentrate it when you are hungry right? It's a need. It's a need. So so the child doesn't think about these things. They just go living a daily need, trying to satisfy like hunger, like being thirsty. It, it works the same way. It's not a conscientious thought, right? It's just a need from the soul. All right. Typically, the child emotionally detaches, in some cases, from the same sex parent. 
and abandons hope. There is not a good attachment, so they detach, they abandon hope. They know, and this is our next slide, they know that they cannot uh, find somehow, and they detach, they don't think again. It's just that when you don't receive something, that you turn to another thing to look for it, and you don't and you don't look for 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 the same sex parent hmm, in this case. And he focuses onto the next perceived source of emotional and identity security nourishment. And sometimes they go to the same sex peers. Hmm? So they are just looking for identity. They look for another one similar to them to let them see how things can be done so they can identify with a child learns by looking, by imitating. Imitation is key in the learning process of a child. That's the DNA of a child. That's that's the way we were created because God intended that if he created us in his image, now parents could be that image to the child. So the child needs to be imitating those around, supposedly family, parents, you know, that society of a family. But when that is neglected for the different reasons, it doesn't have to be bad intentions. I've been speaking with parents that said we tried to do our best. We didn't know. I didn't know what it was, was having a hug. My father, I could just receive a high and buy and and uh, he provided for the food. That's it. We didn't know. It's not bad people, evil people who do that. But that's why education takes place. So we will understand how the DNA, the core of identity in us work, in children work. So what happens is that they look for another one can tell them who they are, how they can behave, how can they think, how can they relate, how can they speak about the same things. So this pre-homosexual condition emerges as exaggerated yearning towards the same sex, a desire to be wanted, cherished, and protected, legitimate needs that the parental bond should have been satisfied. And this is the way it comes. It's not necessarily by sex. No, a child, uh, if the child was not sexually molested, or exposed to pornography, that child is not looking into another boy, sex, no. At the age of 8, 9, 10, 11, they're looking for if they were not sexually exposed. Because if they are sexually exposed, now they will look for that because they will sexualize. But if they are not, they are looking for connection, connection. Even, even if a child was sexualized, they are looking for connection, another one. You know, identity, a role, limitation. So... Yet, due to insecurity and a sense of inadequacy, here too, effective same-sex bonding does not accord. The child is attracted to and admires, yet is fearful and envious of the same sex. Consequently, a same-sex fixation develops, resulting in arrested development towards heterosexuality. So there are different ways it this work. I'm just speaking about the general principles, how in general terms work. Um, if you were exposed to any kind of these situations, it could have been different in the details in your story, but this is generally what it happens. Let's go to our next um, slide. Eventually, the exaggerated and symptomatic emotional dependence on the same sex becomes sexualized with the onset of poverty and earlier or earlier, if the child has been prematurely sexualized, as I mentioned before, due to molest or imprinted exposure to pornography, 
Ultimately, homosexuality is not so much about love or sex, it's about need. And that's the key point. It's about need. Um, these kids, these young people are looking for something to satisfy a need, a need that is um, intrinsically this way. I mean, a need that is real. But the way it's, it's uh, being satisfied, that's, that's, that's the key point there. Understanding this, it is obvious then that rejecting homosexual person is a tragic mistake. Indeed, love, understanding, and affirmation is what they need. Yet accepting and loving the homosexual person does not mean that we, in mistaken compassion, declare homosexuality to be a norm. So normal. And to be, that's okay. But I I explained this so we can understand how the process works. How is that an identity is built? How we can get uh, to that point? Okay, let's go to an, our next um, slide here. So we see now the result. So we see here how uh, this any of these fruits didn't come by it. It's just a way to compensate. To compensate what? A need of a lacking of bonding, of a lacking of, of flowing, flowing back and forth in a relationship, then giving birth to negative thoughts in regard to my identity. So if I don't bond to mommy and daddy, receiving from them the security, the love, that care, giving us the message, I'm loved, I can trust, if something happened, I can tell mom and daddy or mom or daddy uh, that I'm, I'm not alone. I get, I feel okay at home. Um, I'm not rejected. I'm, I'm accepted. I'm loved. Uh, I may not like everything that mom and dad does, but I love them. I can look at them in the eyes and can smile. I can be what I am. I'm not afraid just to tell them even foolish, silly things. You know, all these things create positive very good positive thoughts and uh, the lack of it is what it creates these negative thoughts that you have here and bad and unlovable especially especially when any kind of abuse emotional psychology uh, emotional abuse um, sexual abuse physical abuse verbal abuse any of this oh creates it's like seeds to create a lot of uh, these roots I'm alone rejected forsaken I'm dirty I'm clean uh, I have to be in control or in charge. I allow this to happen. I put myself in this situation. It is my fault. I'm to blame. I'm bad. I'm unlovable. I have to pretend. I hate men or women. I can't trust anyone. It could be divorce. Uh, divorce sometimes leaving the children. The thought that um, it is my fault. I I couldn't I couldn't do my mommy and my daddy be together. It's my fault somehow. Because if I wouldn't do it right, they wouldn't get divorced. Things, things like that. I mean, it's multifactorial. There is a lot of factors. But, but I'm showing you the general principles, how it works. Okay, our next slide. The slide. How Jesus enters into that tree. Hmm? That tree is full of negative thoughts. It's negative roots. And has some negative um, fruits. How Jesus entered my story. So let me give you a brief scenario of the sufferings of Christ, so he can enter into my sufferings, my needs, my lack of uh, love and care, protection, given all these negative thoughts, 
So let's see Jesus suffers now. The Son of Man must suffer many things, Luke 9, 22. And we see in the next one, why did Christ include so many painful and negative experiences in our last life in his plan of salvation, in addition to dying for all of our sins? How does his suffering help us? And we're going to see some of his sufferings um, so we can see how he enters into our story. He came from an unwed mother, right? Because uh, she knew, he knew, everybody, kind of, they knew that Joseph was not his father. So it was kind of an interesting situation. He was a refugee when he was a child. He had to leave his country as a refugee. That's kind of a common word today. And feeling unsafe. They were running, they were leaving, they left everything at home and they were just fleeing, uh, trying to protect his life. So, so since childhood, he was living some experiences, uh, very peculiar um, experiences. He was betrayed, he was alone and abandoned, betrayed by disciples, physical and verbal abuse to the point of bleeding, Reject by loved ones, tempted to numb his pain when his situation was very difficult. He was rejected and forsaken. And he asked the key question, why God? Why God? Hmm? Have you forsaken me? If you can help me not to go through this. He he did that. He asked that. And why, what is the purpose? Let's go to our next slide. The purpose, it would be understanding our pain relate to us so he can heal us. And we can see how in Hebrews 4.15, because we don't have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but in everything, in everything, he was tempted, yet he did not sin. Uh, in our next slide, we see here. So we see, he said, Luke 22, 25, 26, all fools and low, slow of heart to believe. Didn't you know that the Messiah must suffer and enter into glory? There is a purpose for Jesus' suffering. All the things written about me in the law, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Thus, it was written that the Christ would suffer. And in Acts, we find God announced beforehand by the mouth of his prophet that his Christ would suffer. So, so we see that Jesus himself said that he was going to suffer. The Old Testament writers said he was going to suffer and the maximum beautiful uh, representation of the suffering Messiah in the Old Testament is Isaiah 53. And then Jesus' disciple after, uh, disciples after Pentecost in Acts, we see that they finally understood the Messiah needed to suffer. There is a place for the suffering. The gospel is not only, the good news of the gospel is not only his death and resurrection. Amen for his death and resurrection. That's why we have a chance. But in his sufferings, we cannot miss that part, is that he connects with humanity. Because there, only there in his suffering, in his sufferings, is where he enters into a story. And that's what we attempt to see. Next slide. The actor of our salvation was made perfect through suffering. Suffering made perfect the work he was doing for our salvation. He had to be made like his brothers in every way. Suffering being tempted, 
he suffered when he was tempted, but he didn't fall into temptation because he didn't have negative fruits, right? In all points, yet without sin, always trusting his father, as Hebrews uh, said. Okay, so in our next slide, we will see. So now we see that there is that Jesus needed to suffer. He didn't only die, but he needed to suffer. And, and here we can see. So, so we can understand a little bit how is the cycle. Why do I live in a cycle of sin and forgiveness? So, so now we see that there are some missing things if there was not a good bonding. And we grow up. And uh, now we have a tree and we have these roots. And uh, in this cycle of sinning and asking for forgiveness, what happens? I confess my sinful behavior. I receive forgiveness for my sinful behaviors. It could be porn, anger, as you can see there in the fruits, uh, porn, anger, overeating, affairs, drugs, mm, any other thing. I receive forgiveness for my sinful behavior. I confess my sinful behavior. Then I receive forgiveness. God is faithful. He forgives me. But then I return to my sinful behaviors again and again, receiving a lot of forgiveness, but not freedom. It could be the cycle of many of us. I ask for forgiveness. I confess my sinful behavior and I receive forgiveness. But then I return to my sinful behaviors again and again and again. And I got a lot of forgiveness, but not freedom. So what do we need to understand? The negative thoughts again begets negative feelings and negative feelings, negative behavior. So it will still go back to the negative sinful behaviors is because there is a root there that is taking me there all the time. I might be confessing, finding myself confessing my fruits, but not knowing about the roots. Remember, the roots are underground, hate the light, and they we don't know the extent of that. Hmm? All right. So here we see some of, again, some of the lights for any of these uh, behaviors that we see here on the screen. I'm not worthy. It is my fault. I'm undeserving. I'm not good enough. I can't be forgiven. I'm alone. I'm rejected. I'm bad. I'm dirty. I'm unwanted. I can't trust anyone. I need to have the control and I need to be safe. Those are negative thoughts in regards to the identity. Where those negative thoughts come from? And as you can see here in the slide, it said the father of lies. And let's go back again. And yesterday I just mentioned some of this. John 8, 44, we can see the best representation uh, shared by the Lord Jesus Christ, this statement that give us a clear understanding. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and the last of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and about not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he is speaking of his own for he's a liar and the father of lies. So, so we can see here that Jesus is saying everything the devil is going to speak is a lie because if he can make us believe a lie as he did with Eve, if Eve could only, only believe one lie, that was enough for her to have negative fruits. So she believed the lie. You can be as God. You can be as God. You can take the fruit. She had to believe a lie before she got into the negative fruit. Before she got into taking the apple, she needed to 
uh, or taking the fruit, she needed to believe a lie. So if we believe these lies, I'm alone and rejected and by them wanted, even though those lies might come from real experiences where we honor the person in their suffering and pain, not victimizing the person, but honoring the pain of the person. Yes, there could be many events uh, that brought these negative thoughts. But what is what is the way to healing now? Hmm? So let's go to our next slide. And we can see, again, the cycle of sin and forgiveness. And we are going to see the cycle. And then we are going to see how, how is that Jesus entered a story. We see here, in, in yes, thank you. In this slide, you can go all about one by one. And the cycle of sin and forgiveness. So we see uh, a habit, a uh, negative um, a negative um, thought, I'm alone. And with that negative thought, we the cycle begins. And I'm alone, so I just go to food because food makes me feel good. And by the way, $60 million is spent on diets every year. Only 5% work. I'm, I'm a health coach, and when I work in with overweight people, I know they come because they want to lose weight. But deep inside, the issue is not about the weight. It's not about the, the um, all the food they are eating. It's about the negative thoughts that they have that take them to this pattern, cycle of addiction. And the work, even though it's, it's a health work and changing the diet and doing exercise, all these things help. The root of it is working with this negative identity in regards to I'm alone, I'm not good enough, I'm not wanted, I'm not loved. There is the issue. And we have a wonderful message there to share with people. Anyways, we go to food. We feel bad. Then we feel good when we have food. We numb the pain that we have because these negative thoughts create a lot of pain. And then we go to food again. We have shame and guilt. We gain weight. And then we had a habit. And this is the whole circle we see right here as we go. Yes, you can see there adding more food. And then I got shame, and then I would gain, I gain weight, and then I have it. And we have then two cycles, two problems. The root that is telling me you're alone, you're not good enough, you're not wanted. Then I go to food, something to compensate that pain. And, uh, and then we have two things, create a cycle and break up the cycle, but working in the roots. So working in the roots and the fruit, we have two places where to work. And not only focusing on the behavior, not only focusing on the behavior, we need to start by God's grace, working on the roots. In our next slide, I'm going to tell you a story now. So Jesus needed to suffer. Hmm? Yes, we see it there. Jesus needed to suffer. There is something in Jesus' suffering. And, uh, and we see here Sandy's story. Uh, we changed the name. There are many Sandys. Um, and Sandy's story connecting to Jesus' story. She was not a Christian person. And she went through, and she's telling us there her story. She was beaten, falsely accused, verbally and mentally abused by those who should be protecting me. That's Sandy telling her story. And I learned to believe by those situations that happened to her that were real, then a belief system got in her mind and with these negative thoughts, I am worthless, I'm alone, I don't deserve any better. And then we see Jesus telling his story. 
Jesus healed people before they knew who he was. And here we see the lame man. The lame man didn't have any idea that who was Jesus. I mean, who are you? I'm Jesus. And they didn't know. It was the first time they heard the blind man and a dead girl. Can What can a dead person know? And Jesus healed them, even if they didn't know that who Jesus was. So when we were praying with Sandy, actually George did it. And George was praying with a non-Christian and he could pray with her. Why he could pray with her? Because Jesus healed people even before they recognized them as the Messiah. And that's an amazing evangelistic opportunity. And, um, and we see here in our next slide that Sandy, being not Christian, didn't believe in God. She didn't believe in Jesus as God. Mm -hmm. uh, she did want to receive healing from pain and from shame. And, uh, but that was her situation. She did not believe in God. She did not believe in Jesus as God. But she wanted to be free because she was in an addictive cycle. And she learned to believe, I'm worthless. I'm alone. I don't deserve any better. Uh, so we can see Jesus. Um, so we can see Jesus again, giving her an opportunity, trying to reach her. And we can go to our next slide. So can I pray with someone who doesn't accept Jesus as the Messiah? Can I pray with someone who doesn't believe Jesus as her Savior? And uh, is that a biblical? Yes, it's biblical. He healed the lame man, the blind man, the dead girl, and they didn't know anything about him. And he healed them. And when he healed them, it works the other way. Who are you so I can serve you? You are my deliverer. You are the one who took me out of the darkness. And there are going to be many ways God is going to heal this way. Mm -hmm. So uh, Sandy was one of them. Okay, go to the next slide. What is the source of Jesus' prayer on the cross? And we will see the next one. Next slide. Uh -huh. Yes. So it's biblically to pray. Let's go to the next one. Let's go to Jesus. Uh, went through our negative experiences. Next uh, slide. Thank you. Uh, okay. Yes. Uh, we can go to the next one. And we can see here. Yes. Let's go to the next one. That's good. Let's go to the next one. We're going to pass by those. That's fine. Here. Jesus went through our negative experiences so he could suffer being tempted by all our negative thoughts. Where was Jesus tempted in everything? Where was Jesus tempted in everything as Hebrews 2.15 said? Because he, we don't have a high, uh, high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, being tempted in everything. He was not tempted if we could remember the tree in the fruits. Because in the fruits we see the pornography, the addictions, the video games, the, all these things. He was not tempted. I mean, he was tempted. But he didn't fall into sin. So that means that he was tempted in everything with every negative thought. Mm -hmm. So we see Jesus here uh, identified with Sandy's thoughts. In Sandy case or our case, I'm alone, I'm abused, I'm betrayed, I'm tempted, I'm rejected, I'm forsaken, I'm not good enough. There are so many negative thoughts. But with Jesus... Jesus was being left alone. He was abused. He won't betray. He was betrayed. He was tempted to believe that he was rejected, forsaken, and not good enough. 
he even say, why have you forsaken me? So he was tempted all the time with negative thoughts to believe those negative thoughts. Let's go to the next slide so we can see again how he identified with how he enters into Sandy's story. Sandy was beaten, bruised, blooded. I mean, she was physically and sexually abused to the point of blood. And her case is 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 is, is a case that is is kind of common today of seeing an abusive uh, relative and. Uh, and that was her story. How can Jesus identify with Sandy? What George, who was the Bible worker, who understood the power of identity, shared with Sandy, who was not a Christian, who was a believer, and he was not believing in God, just because she had one question, where was God when I was being abused by my uncle this way? Hmm? So, he, George, could share with her that to identify with Sandy, Jesus was beaten, was bruised, was blotted by those who should have been protected him. So what he did, George, was to tell Jesus' story that was exactly like Sandy's story. And remember, the principle is every person wants to find another one who relates that's what a woman who has been cheated by her husband wants to find another woman who has been cheated by her husband so she can know what to do. So someone who can relate with her feelings. Uh, a boy that is running away from home because he couldn't bond there and it's not a safe place and he's running away, uh, finding in drugs something that appeases his soul, he's going to find another teenager hopefully running away from home and in the same situation because we human beings need to identify with someone. We need to have the similar experiences and then we create, create bonding. Remember, identity is formed in relationship. When we admire, when we see, when we take from another, we create that affects a lot who we are. So, so George knew this principle as now you are knowing this principle. And he told Sandy the story of Jesus so she could identify with him even before she could see that he was a Messiah. What else did George say? Next slide. Sandy was telling him the story uh, that she was falsely accused, verbally and physically abused. Then George told her story of Jesus, told her the story of Jesus, that to identify with Sandy, I was, Jesus said, falsely accused, verbally abused, and physically abused. When Sandy went to tell her mother what her brother, which was Sandy's uncle, was doing to her, the mother didn't believe her, and the mother accused her, and, uh, and Sandy was only 11 years old. Hmm? When she found out years later that, sent, that Jesus was falsely accused, verbally accused, physically abused. What else? What else happened? Next slide. Believing that I was worthless, that I was alone, and I deserved the abuse. When the mother didn't believe her, when the mother didn't do anything, and did it keep her from future abuse, abuse because nothing at home changed? Then 
Sandy believed that she was worthless, that she was alone, and that she deserved the abuse. And that's, that's a common situation as well. Then George, following the story of Jesus, let Sandy know that Jesus was tempted to believe I was worthless, I was alone, and I deserve all the abuse. And we are going to see uh, how Jesus relates to that. Next slide. Sandy said, I was denying my pain and shame. I was defining myself by my abuse. And that's why Sandy falls into having different partners, children from different men, uh, defining her identity by her abuse, that she was not worthy, that she didn't deserve anything good. And then George could share with her that Jesus was tempted to deny his pain. He was tempted to deny his pain and to numb his pain when his situation was really dark and to believe that his identity was defined by his abuse. He was tempted. How? And let me tell and let me now share with you some quotes that can tell us in an amazing book. If you haven't read Desire of Ages, please do. So you can get to know what happened in Jesus' suffering. We are counseled that we should see Jesus suffering and read about his suffering at least one hour every day. Because there is one principle behind this counsel. Every time you think and think and think on your own sufferings, you get sick mentally ill, physically ill, spiritually ill, impaired, when you're thinking all the time in the things that happen to you, you're suffering. But when we contemplate, behold, read, uh, we can focus and, and read and know Jesus' sufferings, that's the start of opening of hope. Because in Jesus' suffering, sufferings, the more we, we read into his story, the more freedom and peace we find. And this is the amazing power of his sufferings. So what happened with him? Desire of Ages, uh, a book uh, uh, written by Ellen G. White, she says, as the substitute and surety for sinful man, Christ was suffering under divine justice. He saw what justice meant. Herthrough, he had been as an intercessor for others. Now he learned to have an intercessor for himself in the darkest moments when he was taking Sandy's case, when he was going through her story, then he learned to have an intercessor for himself. Look at what it says here. In its hardest features, Satan, remember, Satan, who is the father of lies, in the hardest moment of Jesus in Gethsemane and in the cross, Satan just comes. And, and Jesus was very vulnerable because of the pain that he was now having from Sandy, from you and me and all humanity. Satan comes to do his work and saying, look what he says, in its hardest future, Satan repressed the situation upon the Redeemer. The people who claim to be above all others in temporal and spiritual advantages have rejected you. Look, look how he was tempted to believe all kind of negative thoughts in regards to his identity, even though the situations were real, they were happening, but the way Satan speaks is just for you to identify with a negative identity so you lose hope. And, and look what he told Jesus, the people who claim to be above all others in temporal and spiritual advantages have rejected you. They are seeking to destroy you, the foundation, the center, 
and seal of the promises made to them as a peculiar people. One of your own disciples who has listened to your instruction and has been a man foremost in church activities will betray you. One of your most zealous followers will deny you and all will forsake you. Oh, let's go to the next slide. Christ's whole being abhorred the thought that those who he had undertaken to save, those who he had loved so much, should unite in the plots of Satan. This pierced his soul. Hmm? So, so we can see that Jesus suffered when the temptation to believe these negative thoughts came. He suffered so much to the point that it says that it pierced his soul. The conflict was terrible. Its measure was the guilt of his nation, of his accusers and betrayer, the guilt of a world lying in wickedness. The sins of men weighed heavily upon Christ and the sense of God's wrath against sin was crushing out his life. He was living all these situations. He knows what is to be tempted with negative thoughts that causes so much pain to our souls, piercing our souls, piercing ourselves with the thought, you're betrayed, you're alone, you're abandoned, you're not good enough. People will betray you, leaving you alone. Did, can Jesus understand? Can Jesus understand? Did he go through all this? Amen. Because we have someone now by our side that can live our story. And Sandy came to the point to see this. She could go out of her suffering to see and find her story in Jesus' story. And that makes an impact. Let's continue. Praying Jesus' story into Sandy's story. Moving from information to application. She was not receiving a regular Bible study, which, which is amazing. I mean, after what she did. But at the first place, she could find from information immediately application and from, um, from application to transformation. Because now when Jesus enters into the story, that gives hope. Let's go to the next slide. What happened to her? What happened to Sandy? When Sandy could relate that that God that she thought was so far, she thought it was far away from her and was an unjust God. Because this is not only about Jesus. She could understand that the father sent her son so she, he can identify with Sandy. And that the Holy Spirit is the one who can comfort her right now. Open her mind to see the other part of the picture. That when she was being abused to the point of blood, sexually, verbally, uh, emotionally, these abuses were done against him. He was receiving in his body these abuses. So Sandy now can have a different opportunity in life. And one day in the judgment day, he was going to judge those abuses like done unto his own body. And you know what George told Sandy? You have now the choice even to believe in Jesus or not. But even if you believe it or not, the day, the day of his judgment, he will take judgment of every abuse committed against you he will because he's faithful now if you want to take part of the other side of the story why jesus will take in his body 
all of the abuses done to you. If you want to know why, it's an opportunity. And Sandy jumped into that and said, I'm not going to lose anything getting to know what is the end of the story. And then she could pray a simple prayer every week with George. Every time they get together, she was finding more and more of Jesus' story into her story. And finally, Sandy could, Sandy could pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for choosing to go through the painful experience of being verbally, mentally, and physically abused. What is Sandy doing here? What George taught Sandy, she was praying, recognizing Jesus' story first. And then, let's go to the next uh, story. She could give root and fruit in a prayer. Then, so you could take all my pain, all my shame, and all of my abuse into your suffering and death on the cross. She's giving all her pain and all the fruits of addiction um, because now she understands that Jesus took uh, those abuses as well. Next slide. She continues saying, with all my negative thoughts that I'm alone, that I'm worthless, that I do not deserve any better. So you could break all of trauma bonds. bonds. Now she is. she learned how through a simple prayer that she was free to express. I mean, this is not exactly words. This is this is what she was expressing and she learned. She was now giving not only roots of her trauma and abuses and now behaviors that she was replicating into addictions just because of what happened to her, but she's given what? She's given the fruits. And I surrender my negative thoughts that I'm alone, that I'm worthless, because now she's finding someone who is make an identity with her to tell her you're not alone i understand i took the same that was done to you into my body so you wouldn't feel alone let's continue and you raised from the dead so you could heal my broken heart and set me free to receive my truest deepest identity as your daughter with healthy boundaries in jesus name and she could pray that prayer and she ventured herself to see the results. Okay, let's go to our next light. So what's Sandy? What is Sandy telling us? She prayed Jesus' story into my story weekly with a friend. And I was receiving my truest, deepest identity as his daughter with healthy boundaries. So Jesus said, I heal her broken heart, set her free moving her into ministry with a testimony, with healthy boundaries, and leading others to my healing love. So Sandy was being healed, but right there from the beginning, that was her ministry because now she can jump onto others and said, wait a minute, I need the story to tell you. That abuse that you had, yes, there was someone who had the abuse, and this is, now she was jumping into ministry. Let's go to our next slide. So Sandy says, healing and freedom, healthy boundaries, moving into ministry, bringing others to this Jesus who must suffer. So that's the only thing she knows about Jesus. And she got deep into her relationship. And then Jesus, the whole news about the good news of the gospel for the whole person going to the whole world around that person. The complete gospel includes Jesus' death and resurrection, but we cannot 
We cannot. We need to connect people in Jesus' suffering. His sufferings are as important as his death and resurrection because in his sufferings is where Jesus picked each one of us. Is when Jesus mingles in our story so everything can be done. Fruit and root can be left in his death and the resurrection give us a new identity in him. Next slide. So Sandy's faith in Jesus grows. She accepts that Jesus who can identify with her and that she now can leave fruit and root into to him daring to believe that there is another story that she's missing and that she wanted to know. So who led Sandy, who led Sandy into a prayer of salvation when George, that was the friend that was praying with Sandy, is her only Christian friend. It's her only Christian friend, but who was leading this situation? But he was not the one who led her in a prayer of salvation. Who was that? Let's go to the next slide. So Sandy's faith in Jesus grows, and it was the Holy Spirit who saved Sandy. And then what happened with George? That is the vessel that Jesus and the Holy Spirit is using to reach Sandy, because we are just vessels. What happened with George's faith? George's faith grows as well. So this is a win-win situation for everybody. Sandy grows. And she just learned about it. Jesus' suffering could enter into her story. And he's telling her that there is a possibility to go out of the roots and fruits in him. And then George grows, which was Jesus' vessel. He grows as well. And his faith is established when he sees the Holy Spirit entering into Sandy's mind, telling the wonderful story of uh, Isaiah 53. In Jesus' suffering. Let's go to our next slide. Healing and freedom, healthy boundaries, moving into ministry, bringing others to this Jesus who must suffer. So Jesus might say, because he, the whole gospel is not only about, remember, the death and the resurrection. It's about suffering, death and resurrection. Uh, for the whole person, it's not about giving intellectual knowledge. It's about people experiencing that there is someone who identified with my pain exactly the way I live it, going to the whole world around that person. So let's go to our next slide. So we can see trying to gain victory myself in my own strength. So, so, so we can see here the difference. When I have myself as the power source, then I try to gain victory myself in my own strength. Hmm? And I try to do what Jesus said is impossible for me to do without God. That is to have the victory, to surrender a negative behavior. But when, I'm, when I say I try to gain the victory myself, you know, I'm trying, I'm fighting to gain the victory. Uh, who is the power source here? But when the Lord is our power source, then we need to receive. That's the key point. We need to receive Jesus' victory and freedom that he already provided for me 2,000 years ago in the past. The verb receive, you will find 257 times in the New Testament in the King James Version. 
That's the power of it. So, so when we have the Savior as the power source, we just need to receive something he already did. And that's why the believing, it does not intellectual knowledge. They're believing open up immediately to an experience, an experience of, a, of uh, the testimony of what we just heard before this presentation when um, he mentioned that uh, peace and freedom he could experience and he couldn't know what was happening, right? That, that, that's just amazing the way we see Jesus works because he created us not for intellectual knowledge. He created us to have an experience and then mind and heart together in seeing one thing, being just, um, being just uh, transformed into that. And Bruce, Bruce was the one giving the testimony. And that's what he experienced when he received, he received, Sandy received, Sandy received Jesus' victory. Sandy received the peace that got to know that all the abuses that she went through, Jesus is is going to, Jesus received those abuses in his own body. And that's why judgment will come. So she received another one, another story like her. And she received Jesus' story into her story. And that's why it changed. Next slide. So we will see. Jesus called children. Let's go back to the child that didn't receive these things home. Hmm? Oh, let's let's move forward to the next one, to the next slide. Yes, this one. So we begin this presentation by saying that children should um, bond with their parents. Hmm? Should bond with their parents to have security, assurance, love, care, giving them uh, positive messages in regards to their identity. That means this is not perfect people because we are in a sinful world. But that means from out of those positive messages, they can face life in a very different situation that going to LGBT life, to addictions that give them a momentarily message, you are accepted, you are loved. As uh, Carol was sharing with us last night, her testimony of not having that assurance of who she was at home and the LGBT received her with open hands saying, we love you just the way you are. And that's the only thing she needed. And that's the story of so many because the needs of Carol are the needs of every human being. Remember, that's what humanity needs. So this child that could not receive these things at home, what happened now? Hmm? After you could heal the whole presentation, Jesus said, But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as this. He knew, Jesus knew, that children were going to be hindered, keep away from him through abuse, through trauma, to neglect, to avoiding the the characteristics of his heart, of Jesus' heart, through love, assurance, affirmation uh, to these kids. He knew that. He knew that in advance. So he said, let not, you know, let little children come to me and do not hinder them. What happened when they are, when they are apart from Jesus? When, what happened when an adult gets in the way of the child to have the possibility to have a different life and to come to Jesus? What happened? Let's go to our next slide. Jesus meets this child. 
She transmits them. Jesus takes that abuse upon his own flesh. That's why he suffered so much. That's why he suffered every negative thought. And he suffered. He, he was tempted to believe those negative thoughts. And um, why Jesus did not believe the negative thoughts could be a question. Because every promise that he held in his heart was giving him a different message. When he was being baptized, when he was in the Mount of Transfiguration, God himself talked through talked to humanity through Jesus in baptism and transfiguration, giving a very different message. God knew that Jesus was going to be tempted with every negative thought. God knows that we are going to be tempted with all these negative thoughts. You are not loved. You don't belong. You are not wanted. You All these negative thoughts, you are rejected. And God said something that puts a banner of heaven in our minds and hearts with this message. You are my beloved son in whom I will please. And yet when the devil was tempting him in Gethsemane on the cross with the negative message, you are forsaken, you are left alone, you are abandoned. For Jesus to believe the negative thought, Jesus claimed the promised. And in the cross, he was sinful. He, he, his nature was changed and he was sin. For us, he was me, he was you in the cross. But even though he was sin, he had the courage to believe, this is my beloved son in whom I will place. And that kept Jesus. His mind was kept from all these lies from Satan, which are negative thoughts. And that's why he gave us the victory. So what is Jesus going to do when he finds this little girl who couldn't find that at home? What has did he do? So let's go to our next presentation. That girl is full of affairs, pornography, addictions, homosexuality, internet, with sexual content, prostitute, adultery, fornication, abuses. Full of, I have to pretend, I hate men or women, I can't trust, I'm bad, I'm alone, and rejected, forsaken. But when God uses any of you to tell that girl, and God works with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus, it's, it's just the three of them working, changing circumstances in life so she may get to know the message of what he did in his sufferings and how he enters into the story of happen, that happened to Sandy. When he finds this girl, then this truth that saves the soul and set you free can turn into next presentation. Then the person's tree would be different. Now there are some different fruits that correspond to the fruits of the Spirit, kindness, self-control, joy, peace, forgiveness, faith, goodness, altruistic service, long-suffering could be there. But why the fruits change? Because the roots of the negative thoughts change in seeing Jesus understanding, not a doctrine, but a reality that how he doesn't judge me by the way I was abused. And that's why Sandy could have a different message instead of having the abuse of her uh, her uncle and the rejection of his of her, her mother. Now she sees a Jesus that doesn't accuse her, but says, I'm taking your abuse. I receive in my flesh your abuse. I've been suffering like you so you can have peace and healing. And she understands the message of Isaiah 53. So now her thoughts 
in a process and someone praying for her, teaching her to give root and fruit. Now this process by the wonderful uh, power of God changes. And now her thoughts are, I'm cared for so I can care others. I am clean in his robe of righteousness. I can be forgiven by him so I can forgive. He is in control. I can rest. He paid the penalty for me. I am loved by him, so I love. I am accepted, accepted in his love, so I can accept others. I love sinners, but I hate sin now, loving sinners. I can trust him, so I can trust. Can you see that now her, her thoughts are not only hers? It has to be her thoughts with him. He forgive me, I can forgive. It's not about her anymore. Now her thoughts are telling a different story. And, uh, and this is the way Jesus works. Next slide. So we can see that Jesus can take this little girl, turn into a woman, and she can find in him the wonderful message, you are mine. Simple. You are mine. No one can take away, no one can take you away from me. If you accept what I can give you, you are mine. Given all the messages of acceptance, now that girl doesn't need to go to the LGBT community, doesn't need to go to her addictions, doesn't need to go man after man looking for acceptance. She found the one that gave her a different message. And my challenge and my call, I want to make a call for you today is, this is waiting for you. This is not a fair tale story, beautiful story, Christian story. That's the reality. Even if you believe it or not, one day in the judgment, you will see that Jesus took all your suffering because he's faithful. And even if you don't accept him in your life, you will finally see that he took all the suffering, all the pain upon his body. And that's why the judgment is going to be fair. If you accept him today, you can see the other side of the story. Not only seeing your sufferings, but seeing and mingling your story and your story. So now your life is not by you alone. Now there are two. It's not about who you are. It's about now whose we are. Because I'm not by myself. There is another one giving me not only identity, but purpose. Moving me into ministry. With your eyes shining. With your smile telling the world it works. He lived my story. He's not judging me. And he has something for me. You are mine. That gives a powerful message for us today. And that's the purpose why he lived your story. May God bless all of us. And you might dare to believe that that is so. May God bless you. Thank you so much, uh, Yvonne. That was great. There was a couple of quotes that you said that really grabbed me. And the first one was, um, first one was what you said that, through relationships, identity is formed. And I thought, wow, I could even see the, the power of that. Even, um, well, personally in my own life, you know, having a father that I defensively detached from. So he was, he was forming my identity because of the rejection that I experienced even before I was conscious. So uh, a lot of things have been going on in my mind. And thank you again for for helping to, to kind of um, explain this. I'm going to have to watch it three and four times before I get every nuance that's in your presentation. So I'll be doing this a lot. 
but you said something else that I thought was so beautiful. She was affected or she was, she was living not a doctrine, but a reality. She was living not a doctrine, but a reality. And unfortunately, a lot of times I think even in good hearted Christians and Adventists, we we hold on to the doctrine and say, this is how you should behave and this is how you should be when it hasn't become a reality for them. Yeah, my mind's exploding by some of the things that you shared. So let me say something that I forgot now that you're saying thank you for your good, comment. Please. Yeah. That's why. When we tell an abused person who was abused by her uncle or grandpa or anyone, and they told she had the courage to say something to her mother and her mother didn't believe her or any case that happened. Uh-huh. And we can fight this Christian cliche that is not biblical to tell the person you need to forgive. Oh, what a, what a damage we do. Mm-hmm. Because forgiveness is a fruit of the spirit. It's a fruit. That means that you can give fruit when the roots change. So before we can tell a person you need to forgive, we need to help the person understand she's a story into their story. So those roots can change. And the person said, I am forgiven by God, so I can forgive. Mm. There has to be the restoration before we push people into more pain because she's the person is not, cannot, with negative roots, cannot forgive, and then we are pushing into further pain. So what we need is to help people have an identity with Jesus, doing what George did, and praying, and, and, and showing this Jesus that is powerful, getting lost in his sufferings, and see that amazing uh, bonding creates place because, again, Michael, new identity is created in relationship. Mm. All right. So that's fantastic. I'm so glad that we even have that recorded as well. Yvonne, let me say a a prayer for you. And then what we'll do is we'll give everybody a nice break. Before we come back, we're going to have another interview with with, uh, a young man that was left for uh, without a home. He was adopted and he was left as an orphan. Eventually, he went into the gay life. And now he's a pastor and he's adopted a son of his own. So it's a beautiful story. And it comes all the way from New Zealand. So you don't want to miss that. And that's going to happen at 310 this afternoon. So, uh, Yvonne, let me say a prayer for you and uh, then we'll let you go as well. Thank you again. Ah, Heavenly Father, you are so good. You are just so generous. And um, so many of us have a misunderstanding of who you truly are. Thank you, Lord, that you have empowered Yvonne to uh, share with us that you sent your son to represent you to us and that he took on every insult, every embarrassment, every humiliation, every experience to the point of blood, Lord, so that we would know that we can relate to him, that he has been where we have been. So, Lord, it's so much easier to understand the pain that you go through when each one of us are lost, when each one of us refuse the precious invitation that you extend to each one of us. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will touch us and renew us and restore us, Lord, through the experiences of what your son went through so that we can know that you know what it's like to hurt. And I pray, Father, that your kingdom would be full because of this presentation today. I thank you so much, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.